0: Uh, University Christian Campus House is an extension of the church. It is the church in many ways. And Lindsay, uh, we're just going to talk briefly this morning. I need to let you know Lindsay and her students that are with her who we'll introduce in just a moment are going to be leading high school Sunday school and then they're going to be back tonight for our reveal program which is for junior high and senior high. So you're going to have a busy day. But tell us real quickly what takes place in ministry through the Christian Campus House at EIU.
1: Well, the Christian Campus House exists as a church for college students um, on a secular university. And so it's a place for college students to continue to grow in their faith and learn about God and make their faith their own while they are um, in the college university setting.
0: And and I know you were telling me earlier you have Sunday morning worship every week, right? Yes, we do. That's great. What, What else do you have as opportunities for these Christian students at EIU to grow spiritually?
1: We also have um, Wednesday night services, um, and we have several small groups that meet throughout the week. So we have same-sex small groups, all-girls and all-guys small groups that our students can get involved with. Um, on Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday night, and meet with a group throughout the semester doing that. We also have various retreats and things that we go on throughout the year. Awesome. Um, retreats where we'll have speakers come in, or we'll meet with students from other campuses, and you yeah. know, have a speaker or something like that as well. So,
0: you know, I went to a Bible college right out of uh, high school, and I really think that was a great decision for me spiritually where I was at. But I know you guys have an incredible ministry for students that, that don't have that opportunity, maybe, to go to school with all Christians necessarily. Why is campus ministry so important in your mind?
1: Yes, it's very important um, because not every high school senior wants to become a pastor. Not every high school senior is going to go to a Bible college or university. And some of them want to be teachers. Some of them want to be business people, doctors, things like that. And so they'll be going to a secular university to study that. And so it's so important to have a campus ministry, a place where they can – Fellowship with other believers and find a community of oh hey there are other Christians here at a secular university there right. are other students who believe the same thing that I believe about God um, and and so it's good for them to have that community and then also part of our hope is that we will um, we will help train them to con- to learn how to continue to be Christians when they are teachers when they are right. business people you know things like that that they will. Um, Part of what they will learn from us is how to how to live that out when they're in their, their everyday lives, when they're in their careers after college. So
0: now, I have not met you till this morning. We've talked on the phone a couple times, but you shared with me that you are a product of Eastern Illinois University yes. and the Campus House Ministry. You're now doing an internship, and you are wanting vocationally to do Campus Ministry. Is that right? Yes, that's is, correct. Is that what you planned when you were 18 and you went to college or not?
1: No, it wasn't. I actually went to Eastern to study Communication Disorders, which is like yeah. speech pathology, speech yeah. things. Um, changed my major and then yeah. even beyond that I decided I think I'm going to look into doing ministry so That's awesome. not the plan I had to begin with but awesome. I'm happy to be here.
0: Hey let's have your students that are with you stand up. Let's embarrass them and will you introduce them real quickly?
1: Yes I will. Um, over here on your far right I've got Kelsey Parks and then there's Ben Pertle and Ethan States and they're all students in our ministry right now who have joined me this morning.
0: And Kelsey I believe is Shirley Fields' granddaughter just to give you a little yes. connection. So let's yes, welcome yes. our students this morning. All right. Well, Lindsay, thank you for being with us. We're really excited you're going to get to spend time with our teens this morning because most of our teens, you know, will end up in a a secular university setting one way or another. And I just thank you for your ministry. EIU Campus House is one of our, our mission partners. Support them on a monthly basis, and we're really excited to have them with us. I want to pray for Lindsay and for the ministry at Eastern right now. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this incredibly uh, awesome ministry that's taking place in Charleston, Illinois at EIU. And I know there's, there's campus ministries at ISU and U of I and Western and Southern, many, many of the schools where students from Clinton, Illinois end up. And I'm thankful for Lindsay. I'm thankful for the students that are here. I'm thankful for people like Roger Songer that have uh, been a part of this, uh, this ministry for years and years and years And I just pray that you bless them. I pray that spring semester 2012 is a fruitful semester, that they're able to to really help students uh, grow spiritually and then to be difference makers on their campus in Charleston. We thank you most of all for Jesus, the difference he makes, and I know he's making a difference in in people like Lindsey Kirk. Bless them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We express your appreciation to Lindsey. Thank you very much, Lindsey. God bless you. Alright, grab your Bibles, we're in the book of Genesis, and I have a confession, I didn't look at the Pew Bible, I think it's probably page 41, I'm not sure, 41, 42, something along those lines. Uh, this is week three of our four-week study into the life of Joseph, and, and it's been a good study up to this point, and, and it really gets good at, at the end of today and next week's a message that I, can't, I almost wish I could preach next week's message today. I love how the Joseph story ends, but if we were to summarize week one in many ways, I think week one showed us that integrity is always the right answer. Integrity is always the right answer. God is always in control. Okay. Week two, last week, we saw that Joseph did the right thing in the midst of an incredible, incredible temptation. You may remember Potiphar's wife came after him with all that she had. Day after day after day, she said, I want to be with you. And he said, no. I can't do this thing against my God. Joseph did the right thing, and he still paid a price. Joseph did the right thing. He made a decision, a courageous decision, and he paid a price anyway. And and, and if week one was called abandoned, that was the title that we gave it, and if week two was tested, week three, the big idea is going to be trapped. We're going to see how Joseph finds himself in a situation he really doesn't want to be in once again, and in his heart of hearts, he's wondering, how am I ever going to get out of this trap? How am I ever going to be able to, to, to be all that God wants me to be? Maybe this morning, as we look at this today, we're not going to be able to read all of the verses in chapter 40 and in chapter 41. So you're going to have to spend some time this afternoon and this evening and this week really catching up and reading it word for word. But as you do it, I want you to see Joseph's heart is that he doesn't want to be in prison. He doesn't want to be trapped. He wants to be used by God, and he's going to have to learn to wait on the Lord. Well, how did chapter 39 end? It ends with Joseph once again thriving in a very unwelcome life transition. Look at Thirty-nine, the last two verses 22 and 23 it says the warden put joseph in charge of all those held in prison he was made responsible for all that was done there the warden paid no attention to anything under joseph's care because the lord was with joseph and gave him success in whatever he did Potiphar's wife came after him. Joseph resisted the temptation. Potiphar's wife lied, just lied like crazy. I mean, she's breaking the commandment before it's a commandment. She's lying. He came after me. I've got his cloak. Joseph finds himself in prison unjustly, and yet he thrives. And yet God blesses him. God allows him to have some incredible... um, authority that, that doesn't happen to prisoners. One of the commentators said that while Potiphar was very unhappy with Joseph and had him put in prison, by no means was it the worst possible prison that he could have been placed upon. By no means was it the worst possible circumstance. So grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, cupbearer and the baker's, probably what it says. See this. That in Genesis chapter 40, the Lord opens a door of opportunity for Joseph, and Joseph is going to make the very most of it. It says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker, uh, the king of Egypt, offended their master, the king of Egypt. This is the Pharaoh, okay? And the Pharaoh, I think it's fair to say, was the most powerful person on the face of the earth at this time. I mean, he had a cupbearer. Who knows what a cupbearer did? Anybody know what the cup And it's a very important position. The cupbearer would hold the Pharaoh's cup. Anything that went in the cup before the Pharaoh would drink the cup, he would taste it. So if there was poison in the wine, he would bite the dust and the Pharaoh would live. Very, very important position. The baker, he, 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 exactly what it says, he baked for the Pharaoh. And, and we don't know a lot about this guy, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But we know he was very unhappy with his cupbearer, he was very unhappy with his baker, and he put him in prison. And oh, by the way, the prison they're put in just happens to be the place that Joseph has kind of risen in authority. The warden's the primary boss, but Joseph is really over most of what's taking place there. Well, well, Joseph's doing his thing, the cupbearer, the baker are doing their thing, and, and one night They both have dreams that they can't figure out. Have you ever been there where you had a dream and you couldn't figure them out? I have dreams like that. I I wanted to share a couple of them, but I might not be your preacher if I shared those dreams. I don't even know what they mean. They scare you sometimes. That's where these guys are at, the cupbearer, the baker. They have these dreams. They can't figure it out. In verse 7, Joseph notices it, and he says simply, Why are your faces so sad? If it was 2012, they might have said something like this, what's up with you today? Why are you so discouraged today? And I say, well, we have these dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph, I love what he does. He says, you know, we're going to see if God will give me the vision to interpret them. And, and, and they get the dreams, they share the dreams, and the dreams are very, very similar. The cupbearer tells Joseph, I saw a vine. The vine had three branches. It budded, budded, it blossomed. The clusters ripened into grapes. The Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, I squeezed them in the Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. He has no idea what that means. He's a cupbearer. He's used to putting a glass of wine in the Pharaoh's hand, but he doesn't know what this means. Well, Joseph says, let me tell you what the dream means. Joseph says that in three days... The Pharaoh is going to bring you out of this prison, and you are going to be restored to your position as cupbearer. Now, if you're in prison, and the most powerful man in the world is mad at you, and you don't really know why, you don't know if he didn't like the Merlot that you, you gave him the night before, or what's going on, you're, you're frustrated, and you have this dream you can't figure out, and this really wise young man says, oh, by the way, guess what? just wait three days, you're going to get your old job back. Just wait, everything's going to be positive. Just wait three days. How would you feel about that? be pretty excited, wouldn't you? Instead of frowning, what might you do? You might smile. Instead of being depressed, you might be upbeat and elated and encouraged. And the baker sees that all this is going on, and the baker says, well, hey, you gave him a good interpretation. Let me tell you, The dream that I had. And his dream is pretty similar. The dream that he had is that there was a basket of of three baskets on his head full of bread. The top basket had all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. But birds are coming and they're eating the bread out of the basket. I don't like the bird vision. I'm not sure what that means. Tell me what the dream means. And Joseph says, okay, I'll give you the interpretation. You're probably not going to like it very much, but I'll give it to you. Here's what it means. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the cupbearer was really excited about that interpretation. What's the baker probably thinking at that point? Boy, I hope he's wrong. Boy, I hope he doesn't know what he's talking about. And chapter 40 ends, I know I'm going through this pretty quickly, it says, on the third day, it was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. Verse 21, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Verse 22, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them, in his interpretation so joseph was right joseph got it a hundred percent actually god gave it to him we'll get to that a little bit later but joseph is correct now if you're the baker how are you feeling you're not feeling anything right you're dead right but if you're the cupbearer how are you feeling what do you think it's okay to talk i know in church we always get nervous to talk but how are you feeling if you're the cupbearer you're 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 loving life you're thinking, man, I am so glad I met this dude named Joseph. I am so glad that, that we crossed paths just by coincidence. What would you do if you were the, the, the cupbearer? When you, when you were restored to your position? Would you just kind of go through life, no big deal? Or what would you do? I would tell anyone and everyone who would listen, hey, I met this awesome guy. He obviously is walking with God. He, he, he blessed me in an incredible way. But look at how our, our verse ends here. It says, The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. Understand two more things with verse 40, and we'll move on to, verse, to chapter 40. We'll move on to chapter 41. Number one, see that Joseph always gives the Lord all the glory. That's a chapter 40 point to make, that was a chapter 39 point to make. He said, how can I do such an evil thing against the Lord? That was a chapter 37 point to make. And all the way through the end of the book of Genesis, we're going to see that Joseph always gives the Lord all the glory. Verse 8 of chapter 40 says, do not interpretations belong to God? But here's the second thing that I want you to see in chapter 40. Joseph experiences pain and frustration at his unjust suffering, but he doesn't let it destroy him. I, I didn't read it for time's sake. I'm going to read it now. But after he had given the cupbearer, the, the guy that ended up living, this great interpretation, just wait three days, you're going to be giving the Pharaoh his wine once again. Here's what he says to him. He says, remember me, show me kindness, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews And even here, I have done nothing wrong to deserve being put in a dungeon. Do do you hear it in the text? What's What's Joseph saying here? What's he saying? What do you think he's saying? He's saying, What's happened to me isn't fair. He's saying, What's happened to me isn't right. And so help me. And so bless me. He's not whining. He's not being a big baby, but he's saying, I don't want to be here. This isn't the path that that I have chosen. Help me, save me, bless me, tell my story, communicate. Gene Getz, Christian author Gene Getz writes this. He says, Joseph knew he was innocent and that this was God's divine moment for him to explain his predicament and to ask for help. Getz says, I'm glad he did that, for it indicates there's a time to defend ourselves against false accusations, even though God is the ultimate vindicator. There's also a time to ask someone to put in a good word for us, even though we're trusting God with all our hearts to help us and to defend us. And so I want you to see here that Joseph, he's experiencing pain, he's incredibly frustrated. He doesn't like the suffering he's enduring, but he doesn't let it destroy him. Well, how does our our story here end? The end of chapter 40, the beginning of verse 41. Look at how chapter 41 begins. Two full years had passed. Two full years had passed. Two years is a really... Really, really long time. And two years passed for one reason and one reason only. The cupbearer forgot. The cupbearer said, yeah, I'll take care of you if I get out of here. And he forgot. And yet it's all part of God's incredible master plan of blessing. So let's move on to chapter 41. See in chapter 41 that the Lord opens yet another door of opportunity for Joseph, and his response is both godly and it's very wise. That's a great combination that you have on your screen right there. It's very godly, his response, but it's also chalked full of wisdom. And and I would just throw this little caveat out for us this morning, 2012 touch point, shall we say. We need to make godly decisions. But but we need to pray for wisdom as well. We need to use the brain that, that God has given us. We need to seek wisdom. Well, in chapter 41, it says two full years have passed and the Pharaoh has a dream. Now, the dream's kind of kind of odd. I'm going to paraphrase it, but he's standing by the Nile in his dream, and seven cows, big, fat, sleek cows, they come out of the Nile, and they start grazing among the reeds. And after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, come out of the Nile, and they stand beside those on the riverbank. And verse 4 says, the cows that were ugly and gaunt... Ate the seven sleek fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. Pharaoh's like, What's going on? Why am I dreaming about cows? I don't understand this. I own thousands and thousands of cows. What's with the seven fat ones that are sleek and what's with the seven ugly ones that, that are gaunt? Well, he has a second dream later that night. This time there's seven heads of grain, healthy and good. They're growing from a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprout, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads, and the Pharaoh woke up again. And in the morning, he can't figure it out. The Pharaoh calls together all the wise people, all the magicians. They gather them together, and he says, here's the dreams I had. I'm dreaming about seven cows and seven other cows. I'm dreaming about seven grains of head and seven other grains of head, or heads of grain. Excuse me. What's going on? And guess what? The magicians and the wise men, all, all of his counsel, they can't figure it out. Guess who happened to be there as this discussion's going on? The cupbearer. He probably wanted a glass of wine. I don't. Maybe he drank wine for breakfast. We don't know. But, but he's, he's putting the cup in his hand, and the cupbearer says, You know what? Today I'm reminded that I'm an idiot. Now, he doesn't really say I'm an idiot, but that's really what he's saying. He says, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. You were ticked off at me two years ago. You put me in prison. I had a dream. I couldn't figure it out. I met this dude named Joseph. He told me exactly what was going to happen. It's exactly what happened. And I told him that I'd help him out. And, oh, by the way, I forgot. And that was two years ago. Pharaoh's like, well, let's go get this guy. My magicians, my wise men can't figure it out. Maybe this prison guy can figure it out. So Joseph comes to him, and Pharaoh says, I'm really troubled. I'm having these dreams. I can't figure it out. I pay all these really smart, wise people. They've got PhDs. They've got all kinds of great degrees. They can't tell me anything. I want to know what's up, and look at verse 16. This might be the most important verse in, in the Joseph narrative. Pharaoh says, can you help me? And here's what Joseph says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer. If you're Joseph right there, wouldn't you be tempted to say, you better believe I can help you out. You better believe I can interpret your dream. And oh, by the way, in exchange for a good interpretation, I I want 40 acres of land just west of your palace. And I want to make sure that livestock are given to me. And I want to make sure that this happens. It's time to negotiate. He's in a power position. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful man on the face of the earth is flummoxed. He's troubled. He can't figure out these dreams. And Joseph comes up with, I can't do it, but God can. I can't do it, but God will do it why is he doing that? Because that's who Joseph was. Because Joseph was a man of integrity. Because Joseph was a man after the very heart of God. Now, we think of David with that definition, but when you read through Joseph's life, that's our great definition for the life of Joseph. In verse 32, he interprets the dream. He says, Pharaoh, here's the deal. You're going to have seven years of bumper crops. It's going to be as good as good can be. It's going to be so good, your farmers won't be able to complain about anything. There'll there'll be no opportunity to complain. It's going to be so good. But right on the heels of the seven years of abundance, you're going to have seven years of famine. Oh, guess what? It's not just going to be famine in Egypt. It's going to be famine all across the world, all over the world. This famine will be great. Now, Joseph doesn't stop there. He goes on. Let's do the next slide. The next slide says that that he says, I've got a game plan for you. Pharaoh didn't even ask for this. Joseph just keeps going, and he says, if I were you, I'd find a really smart guy, a wise and discerning man, and through these seven years of abundance, I'd take 20% of all the crops, and I I would storm away. I'd build some big old grain bins, and I'd put all that grain in there because you're going to need it in those seven years. And verse 37 said that the plan just seemed great. Pharaoh and his officials, that looked around, they're like, wow, that's a good plan. This guy's really smart. This guy knows what he's talking about. And they put the plan into place. Well, something really neat happens, and this is where the story really gets good for Joseph. Joseph is about to ascend to the highest level of authority and prestige in the land of Egypt after years of what seemed to be abandonment and suffering. Life's about to get very, very good for Joseph. Look at this next slide. Joseph ascends to second in command of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. He goes from prisoner to Joe Biden. Now, maybe I shouldn't use Joe Biden as an example, but that's the vision that I want you to, to see. He's moving it. Where where does the vice president live? The naval observatory, that huge house on the naval observatory. That's Joseph's life. Joseph ascends to second only to Pharaoh. He's blessed with material possessions. He's treated like a king. He's given a wife. His wife's going to bear him children. He's going to be able to establish a legacy. And, And the prophecy that he shares turns out to be true. Seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine... And lives are saved. And the strength of Egypt is ensured for hundreds of years to come because of the wisdom and the godly actions of Joseph. There were seven ceremonial steps that were taken to proclaim Joseph's position and his power. It's in your text. There was a verbal appointment by the Pharaoh. He was given a signet ring. He was dressed in robes of fine linen. He was given a gold chain around his neck. He was driven in a royal chariot all throughout the land. A verbal charge was made to the Egyptians saying, get out of our way, make way, this is Joseph. And he was given a new name. He was assigned a new name. The young boy that was beaten up by his brothers and thrown into an empty cistern, the young man that passed the temptation test and went to prison anyway, The man, Joseph, that gave the cupbearer an incredible interpretation, and the cupbearer just forgot about him. This guy, this Joseph, has ascended to the highest of highs. And next week, you're going to see an incredible opportunity that he has for revenge and the decision that he makes. But before we wrap up, before we sing our song of commitment, I want to leave you this morning with some Joseph-type lessons that we can learn from Genesis 40 and 41. And number one is this, whatever your life situation, if you're in the pit, if you think you're in a prison of sorts right now, understand that Joseph trusted the Lord completely. We should as well. The Lord is worthy of our trust and our confidence. One of the great verses in the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I want to go back to chapter, it's not going to be on the screen, but chapter 41, verse 16. When Pharaoh says to Joseph, can you help me? I like how Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, translates that, that text. It simply says, Joseph speaking, not I, but God. Not I, but God. Will you say that with me right now? Not I, but God. One more time. Not I, but God. Some of you, that's what you need to leave with today. Because you're carrying a burden that if we knew that burden, you would be so embarrassed If the people closest to you knew what was making your heart beat too hard, you you might be ashamed. And for many of us, we're thinking, I can't win that battle. I can't overcome that challenge. I can't beat this life circumstance. And when you leave today, I just want those four words to roll around in your head. Not I, but God. Not I, but God. Not I, but God. Challenge number two if you find yourself in the pit, if you find yourself in a prison, make the best of a bad life circumstance or situation. Don't don't give up, don't quit, don't throw in the towel. I've met countless number of people that when the storms of life came their way, they, they threw in the towel from a faith perspective. They threw in the towel spiritually. And I'm just telling you, that's the worst thing you can do when you're in the pit and you're in the prison. Joseph didn't do it, and he was blessed incredibly. I read about a person this week who faced Joseph-like struggles through life. At age seven, his family lost their house on a legal technicality. And at age nine, his mom died, and the family lived in near squalor. At age 12, the family scraped all the money together that they had so he could receive some formal schooling, but he only went to school for less than a year. He didn't like it. It didn't work out. At age 22, finally on his own, he worked as a store clerk in a failing business. And then he went and joined the Army just for eight months. At age 23, he decided, I want to get into politics, and he ran for the state legislature, and he lost. At age 24, he bought a store on credit with a partner. At age 25, he ran for the state house, and this time he won. But at age 26, his business partner died, leaving him with a huge debt to repay. At age 27, finally, he received a law license. At age 28, after courting a young lady for years, he proposed marriage to her and she said, I don't think so, and left. At age 29, he lost in his election for the speaker of the state house. At age 31, he lost in an election for the position of elector. Finally, he was married at age 33. At age 37, on his third try, he was finally elected to the U.S. Congress. He would failed twice. This time he finally won. At age 39, he lost re-election to the U.S. Congress. At age 41, his four-year-old son died. At age 46, he ran for United States Senate and failed. At age 47, he was nominated for the, the position of vice president on his political party and failed. At age 49, he decided to run for U.S. Senate once again, and he lost. Anybody know who I'm talking about? And at age 51, was elected president of the United States, November 1860. Aren't we glad Abraham Lincoln didn't say, woe is me, and quit, and give up? You you don't know what God has in store for you. You don't know the future that God has planned for you. So finally this morning, never ever stop looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. Joseph had times where he was bitter. Joseph had times where he was discouraged. But he always acted godly, and he always made wise decisions. And it made all the difference in the world for him. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you on this short four-week journey that we're taking through the life of Joseph these awesome life lessons that we're able to learn. And Father, I realize that for many of us, this hits a lot closer to home than maybe anyone in our our world even knows. We're in the pit today. We've got a prison of sorts that we're trying to get out of. And so my prayer this morning, Father, is that whatever our life circumstance is, we'll be faithful. We'll trust you with all our heart. Even when we want to scream, even when we want to cry and say that's not fair, even when we want to throw in the towel and say, I'm done, I'm finished, it's over. Help us to lean on you, knowing that your future for us is incredibly bright. Help us to never stop looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. Father, this morning we thank you most of all for Jesus, your son, that hope that he brings us that hope that we live for and it's in his name that we pray amen amen what a what a great phrase Uh, not i but you god and that's our prayer for you is that if you've not accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior uh, this time is for you if you if you just want to know more about this jesus this god uh, this time's for you maybe you've had a tough week i've talked to two people this morning that have already had a tough week this week and that really need a lot of prayer. And maybe you need some prayer. And again, we're up front here for you if you need some prayer. uh, This time's for you as well as we stand together and sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His